Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies in their intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join that as well if you would like to engage. If you like this podcast, please subscribe in your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I hold a corporate retreat? And, and the, timing of this, the timing of this is very interesting because uh, up until very recently for the last year and a half, almost two years, having a corporate retreat uh, was probably a preposterous question. Or if you did hold a corporate retreat, it would look pretty weird with a bunch of people on Zoom meetings, I'm guessing, or Zoom screens and whatnot. But of course, now as the Delta variant subsides and who knows what variant is coming past that in our trans-pandemic period, uh, corporate retreats are, are, are back on the menu again. And boy, do companies have a lot to talk about, right? Since the last time companies have done their retreats, um, this thing called digital transformation has happened. We've seen a seismic, I think, fundamental shift in how labor and society relate to one another uh, in our country and in our economy. And um, the very nature of, of leadership and the very nature of what we even think is productivity is being at least reevaluated, if not outright being called into question. Um, interestingly, corporate retreats can have a bad rap. For example, there was a story in allbusiness.com that taught, that spoke of uh, an incident in 2008 while the Great Recession was underway, and after immediately receiving bailout money, AIG executives spent over $400,000 on a corporate retreat. Hosted at the luxurious St. Regis Resort and Spa in Monarch Beach, California, it was reported that the executives treated themselves to over $150,000 in food alone in only one week. That's... Um, that's a lot of avocado tacos, man. And um, yeah, I, I do think I do think that there's a little bit of branding to overcome. And first of all, talk about I, I don't know that you could be much more tone deaf than that. Um, but 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 nevertheless, um, I do think that to some extent, corporate retreats do bear some of that stigma that um, um, they're not necessarily as productive. They're, they can be more of a boondoggle. And, and so it's important to get that right. Now, in fairness, I've been on some corporate retreats, which have been fantastic. 
And uh, it's something that I need to do for my group, I think, sooner rather than later. So I plan to learn a lot uh, from this conversation. And as I often do um, with the Decision Vision podcast, it really is simply disguised mooching to get some free advice under the auspices of, uh, of giving somebody some publicity. So I'd like to welcome back to the podcast, uh, Jared Leinert. He came back on, um, it was one of the, I think he was one of the first 30 or 40 uh, people who came on the podcast. So it's fun to have him back. And he has a new venture. Um, he's called co-found, he, sorry, he is co-founder and CEO of a company called Offsite, which helps you plan the perfect team retreat. Previously, Jared was one of the first 10 employees of 15.5, a leading B2B SaaS company, powering over 40,000 teams to bring out the best in their people. Jared is also a TED speaker, award-winning author, and USA Today's most connected millennial who has personally facilitated offsites for Fortune 1000 global executive teams, started companies ranging from a marketing consulting firm to a series of high-end summits for entrepreneurs, and more. To learn about offsite, visit www.joinoffsite.com. They are the easiest way to plan, manage, and follow up after team retreats and other offsite meetings. They help you choose the perfect venue, offer a detailed agenda that will increase employee engagement, and generate measurable return on investment from your offsites, all in one place. And their, their clients include uh, the, some of the hottest seed and Series A venture-backed startups, Fortune 5, Inc. 5000 companies, Y Combinator-backed teams, venture capital firms. And so, I mean, just you know, they're 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 crushing it as we would as we would expect from Jared because he's a crusher kind of guy. He's a power hitter. Jared Kleiner, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. So we talked a little bit before we started the program. I mean, you're 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 doing well. Um, obviously, it seems like every day you're you're posting about a, a new client and a new uh, a new success story with um, with offsite retreats. Uh, I presume offsite retreats. So congratulations for your success there. Thank you. So let's start off. I, you know, I, and I do think this is important here. It probably seems obvious to a lot of people, but in light of the AIG anecdote that I, I spoke of at the start of this discussion, um, I don't necessarily know that it's obvious to everybody. So what is exactly a corporate retreat? So the way I view it is uh, the future of work is changing very rapidly. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue that. Uh, the workforce is decentralizing, uh, just like finance uh, and many other industries. And this has been the trend for the last 10 years. Uh, when I was at 15.5, I was one of the first 10 employees, and we were a remote first company. I was uh, an unpaid intern from South Florida working for this company in, in Silicon Valley. Then I got on payroll. Um, but you know, team members were uh, zooming in from all over the place. And we got to reconnect once a quarter during these offsites. Uh, and more and more companies have gone remote or hybrid since the pandemic has pushed us five or 10 years into the future. Uh, so much so that now Facebook is rebranded to meta and like Dropbox is creating metaverse stuff now. Um, and so we're the, the future of work is changing very rapidly and the companies over the last 10 years that have built the best remote first or hybrid company cultures have relied on these things called offsites uh, or team retreats uh, in order to bring their team together, build trust and intimacy, uh, 
potentially do some strategic planning, uh, such as OKRs on a quarterly basis. Uh, you know, there's different types of offsites, uh, even internally for your team. Uh, and re- regardless of how you run your offsites, um, it's important more now than ever to get everyone together in person um, when 330 plus days of the year we're at home or we're working from wherever we want. And we might be lonely, we might be disengaged, we might be looking for other job opportunities. Uh, and so, you know, what used to be something that the, you know, the most well-funded startups in Silicon Valley are doing is now becoming essential for any remote first company to do. Uh, and not just to do it once a year, but to do it perhaps quarterly, I would argue, um, to have different types of offsites for, you know, the entire team once a year and all hands meeting, uh, executive team meetings, a sales team meeting, perhaps some client-facing offsites where you're treating your most valuable clients to an overnight uh, stay or, or two nights. Um, we haven't gone into the corporate retreats that you started with uh, as far as stereotyping like golf outings and um, doing uh, a lot of enterprise stuff quite yet. We've been working with fast-growing startups and, uh, and Inc. 5000s primarily, but there is a huge opportunity to go into corporate as well, take the offsites that are already uh, happening and just make them uh, more transformational, make them uh, higher ROI than maybe what the the uh, tone deaf story you shared is. And so, uh, yeah, it's something that companies have been doing for a while. Uh, it's only increasing in terms of uh, urgency as uh, systems are breaking when companies have been forced to go remote. And, uh, you know, it was already hard to run a company now to run a remote first company and keep people engaged and performing uh, is really hard. So offsites are one tool in the remote first company toolkit that uh, a CEO can bring out to re-engage their team. So, I mean, I, I, I get the name of your company is, is offsite, but companies have held retreats on site. Um, let me phrase the question this way. I mean, clearly you believe that offsite retreats are more, are more effective. At least I think so, um, although you wouldn't be doing this. Um, if, if that's the case, why is it more effective to have retreats offsite versus on, or am I putting words in your mouth? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm yeah, it, that's I mean, not true. I, I don't think it matters where you do your retreat necessarily. Uh, the, the fact is that more companies are giving up their offices or their sites uh, now mm. more than ever, or they're yeah, giving up their big headquarters. There's no sites to have it on. <laughs> yeah. There's smaller, you know, uh, regional sites. And so it may very well be that you need to actually bring everyone on site. Uh, but now your workforce has left one city and they've gone to other cities, other countries. Uh, a lot of our clients that we're signing on have team members that have been hired in the last two years and haven't met their colleagues. Uh, and so the place you have your offsite is less important. Uh, to me, it, it's more about uh, having the intention to get everyone together, uh, making the financial investment, but also really the investment of everyone's time, uh, collective billable hours, uh, creating an agenda that engenders trust and intimacy, and then leveraging that trust and intimacy to accomplish your business goals. Uh, and again, that could be learning and development. That could be simply like getting some FaceTime with each other if you haven't seen each other ever. And that could lead to uh, more trust or better cross-department collaboration, it could be strategic planning. Uh, it could be thanking your clients. There again, there's a million reasons to have an offsite, but it's 
you know, building trust and intimacy and then leveraging that for your business goals. Um, and I would, last time I was on your show, you know, we, we were talking about meeting in the minds, which is my other company. And uh, I mean, it's basically what we're doing is we're doing a meeting in the minds for other companies now. Uh, and so I've, I've been doing this for a while. Uh, my co-founder Kier owns a bunch of hotels. And so he's approaching this from a hospitality angle, you know, taking care of the where we're doing these offsites and making sure hotels can understand the needs of uh, startups and other clients that we're serving. And we're, we're just going for it because there's a need in the market and, uh, you know, we want to solve it. So, you know, <clears throat> sometimes everybody can go on the retreat. Sometimes everybody can't because it's just a matter of logistics and, and, and finances. In my case, my team is four people, soon to be six. When we have a retreat, we're all going on. <clears throat> but if you have a if you have a company of 30 people, it may not be practical to have a 30 person retreat, it may not be desirable to have a 30 person retreat. So, um, but I can also see how that can be a very, that can be a very kind of delicate question to pick who gets on the retreat and who doesn't. Cause somebody who's not picked can read a lot of things into the fact they're not being picked. So my question, that's a long preamble to the question being, how do you pick who gets on the, who, who's going on the retreat? And then to the extent, that you can comment, how do you, how do you communicate that to the people that you're not inviting on that retreat? So, so the way we think about it, uh, you know, we're working with the person planning the offsite, uh, and for the size companies and teams that we're working with, typically the teams are anywhere from 10 to 500 people right now. Um, and the companies are 10 to, you know, a thousand people right now, although we're, we're quickly exploring working with teams within larger enterprise uh, companies. And the team leader is deciding the objective for the offsite. Uh, it could be an all hands meeting, which means everyone at the company or as many people as possible. Um, and we're sort of actively planning all hands meetings for 40 person companies, uh, 100 person companies, uh, you know, and, and more. Uh, then we're looking at executive team meetings where it's typically, you know, eight to 12 people. And that's a, you know, C-suite. Uh, there's also team meetings uh, for certain departments. So sales teams may want to have their own offsite. Engineering teams may want to have their own offsites. And so that's how we've approached it. Uh, as we're evolving our company, we're starting to talk to higher level uh, people leaders within companies, uh, people that are chief culture officers, chiefs of staff, uh, you know, just the maybe it's a co-founder as well. But then they're establishing a cadence for offsites where they want to have a regular uh, executive team meeting once a quarter. You know, give uh, the ability for certain departments to have regular offsites and then also have an annual all hands meeting. So. Really, the the budget that was previously put towards offices, you could argue, is being reinvested in these offsites, uh, at least for a lot of you know, VC funded tech companies, and that's kind of where we're we're starting. Uh, and so, it's really up to whoever's planning the offsite. Uh, one of the first things that we do when we bring on a new client is we give the planner of that offset a customizable feedback form to actually send to the team. Uh, and in that feedback form, we're getting the basics of travel, you know, 
preferences, uh, blackout dates, you know, if they have personal uh, things, you know, like weddings or, or, you know, they're going on maternity leave and they can't attend. Uh, we ask for dietary preferences, you know, other travel sensitivities. And so, you know, occasionally there are people that can't make these offsites, but we do encourage the planners of these offsites to think inclusively about who's attending. Uh, and then also all the details uh, that would make a more inclusive experience from your menu uh, and catering to uh, traveling to locations that are LGBTQ friendly. If you have members of your team that um, are part of that community uh, and, and just thinking holistically about your team, their needs and what is the best environment for your team. And so yeah, that's, that's today. Uh, we've also started exploring what hybrid offsites look like where you have, you know, 80% of your staff in person and 20% remote. Uh, and what are the AV needs that you're going to need from your meeting space? Um, one of our investors is the co-founder uh, and CEO of Convene, which is like a multi-billion dollar WeWork competitor. And they have uh, hybrid solutions that they're playing around with. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think in 10 years, we'll be doing offsites in the metaverse as well and doing virtual offsites. Um, yeah, well, we'll see. Okay. So what about timing? Um, is it better to hold a retreat during the work week or over a weekend? Most of our clients are doing the work week because to ask people to leave their families during weekends poses all sorts of challenges around uh, childcare, around their, their personal lives uh, and taking them away from family. And so, you know, I would say 80% of our clients are during the week uh, and then maybe some client facing offsites. Uh, like we have some consulting firms that are hiring us and then looking to do sort of high ticket conferences for a smaller group of clients. You know, they may do a weekend, uh, but some of the programming is inclusive of significant others and spouses and kids uh, so we, we can help with that too. Now, um, do you have a view on whether or not you should hold a retreat in a place that is, I guess for lack of a better term, fun, right? A lot, a lot of conferences, for example, happen places like Vegas, Orlando, and so forth. Lots of fun things to do, but you can also make the argument that's a lot of distractions um, versus a place that's maybe more mundane, which might be a more dedicated conference center, event center that, that, allows you to be more focused, but then again, it's not as fun to be in that place. What's your view in terms of, of which kind of venue is more suitable for a productive retreat? It'd be another non-answer, but it really depends on the objectives of the offsite. Uh, and so if you are doing strategic planning where you need everyone's full undivided attention, perhaps you choose a more secluded environment where you are coming in to work. Uh, you get some flex time to work out, call family, um, you know, take a nap, but otherwise you are there to uh, get things done. Um, right now, a lot of companies are doing more team building oriented offsites. And so they want to do more fun uh, in quotes. And then you may choose cities, uh, environments that lead to more fun. Um, there's also an element of this that is employer marketing. And, and what I mean by that is uh, companies are, are looking to have offsites and capture photography, videography, uh, increased net employer net promoter scores um, hmm. from these offsites. Uh, and 
maybe use the offsites to then ask their team to introduce them to more high quality candidates for roles. Um, and so if you're going to host an offsite with some of that intent, then you may want to choose a place like Miami, which is, uh, you know, notable or, uh, Vegas or, or something like that or Austin. Um, so it, it really depends. Uh, but we are, we're also learning, you know, so at the end of the day, we're, we're building software to automate a lot of the offsite planning process. Uh, we are still in the early days, so we're doing white glove concierge service. Uh, yeah. But in a matter of months, maybe maybe by the time this comes out, uh, we might have uh, MVP software out there. And then over time, uh, we'll be able to learn what people are really looking for. You know, are they looking for more uh, secluded environments? Are they looking for more urban environments? Um, and we will probably be able to track based on the type of offsite they're planning and the team size, um, what environment's best for them. So. Who knows? Maybe there's like an AI component to this as well that we can build out. Uh, where you're you're talking sure to me like, is. yeah, I mean, this is this is like inning number one uh, in terms of this company. I'm I'm hoping so. Uh, we can have another rendezvous in ten years and see how it turned out. Yeah, well, I, I don't think we'll need that long. Um, so, in terms of best practices, how much runway do you need to give yourself? Unless let's. let's you know, I understand it's going to, I guess it's going to vary depending on the size of the organization, but, but, you know, assuming that's not a huge retreat mega conference kind of thing, how long does it take to plan a retreat? How much, how much advanced planning or how much lead time do you need to, to put on a good retreat? You're planning for six people like yourself. Uh, you can do that in, in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking to do, more of what our clients are doing, you know, the 10 to 50 person offsites. Uh, I would ideally uh, hope that you're giving yourself 90 days. And part of it is the planning. Uh, you know, the the farther out you plan, the better rates you're going to get with hotels and other vendors. Uh, the better agenda you'll be able to create because you'll have more intention around it. You'll be able to assign reading materials to your team, uh, and and pre-work so that they show up to the offsite already thinking about what you want to discuss. And then you can use the offsite for high-level decision-making, high-level um, planning, you know, things like that, versus actually having to play catch-up once you're there. Um, but also there's an element of giving your team or your clients something to look forward to. And just the anticipation of going to an offsite uh, is valuable uh, in and of itself. And so you know, in a perfect world, you're giving yourself three to six months of runway. And by doing that, you're saving money. You're actually engaging your team, starting to have those back and forth conversations. Um, ideally, you're creating a cadence of these offsites so that you're, uh, you know, you're building anticipation three to six months out. You have this peak transformational experience and then it starts to taper down. And like right when it's about to go back to normal, bam, you have another offsite that you know, everyone's uh, invited to. Um, and again, it goes back to inclusivity as well. You know, people are busy. And so the, the more advanced notice you give people, especially if you're looking at an executive team or yeah. sort of high level VPs, um, then the more likely you will get full attendance. So um, many, re- many retreats, not all, but I think many, I don't know if it's a majority or not, you can tell me, um, have an external facilitator for at least part of the retreat. Um, what are the arguments for that? Why, why do why do companies hire external people to to kind of run the content portion of their retreats? 
Yeah. So, I mean, we, we take the approach of not mandating, uh, you know, external speakers or facilitators. I do personally think it's a great idea. Um, the benefits of outside facilitation are, uh, one, just being able to stay on time, uh, two, being able to stay on task, uh, three, there's an opportunity cost of having someone else on the team lead the the session. So if it's not an outside facilitator, then it's probably the team leader, which could be a CEO, could be a department head. And that person can certainly facilitate and also offer their opinions, you know, help influence the decisions being made. But it's it requires a lot of skill to do that. And a lot of CEOs, a lot of department leaders don't necessarily have facilitative skills on par with their other decision-making skills or, or team leadership or you know, overall leadership skills. Uh, and so those are some of the uh, positives. You know, Another one would be that you don't want any offsites to fall into a category of having uh, negative experiences. And so uh, you don't want to have you want to have heated debates and conversations that lead to positive outcomes, but you don't want to risk having those lead to negative outcomes. Right. <laughs> and so right. a, a skillful facilitator can sense when the conversation is getting heated, sort of step in, you know, reorient the room, uh, refocus everyone. Um, and if you're if you're looking at the biggest investment in these offsites, you know, there is a financial investment that you're making. Um, but it, I would argue that the biggest investment is everyone's time. And especially the, the larger the offsite, the larger the company, uh, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 billable hours per person. You know, if it's like two to five days uh, and then you multiply that times 10 people times 25, 50, 100, like you're talking about thousands of billable hours for you know, these high tech startups that are paying, you know, premium salaries. You know, you're, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of, uh, billable hundreds of thousand dollars of billable hours. And so then it makes sense to pay an outside facilitator a few thousand dollars a day to make sure everyone stays on track. Um, so the negatives of outside facilitation could be the, the added cost. Um, it could also be that you're, you're bringing in someone from outside of the team. And so if you already have a team that hasn't seen each other in two years, and then you're integrating this other person uh, for your offsite, then that could uh, take the energy that people should be investing in each other. And they may be sort of working with a facilitator a little more than you know they should with their other team members. Uh, and so I think a skillful facilitator would know when to actually lead sessions and then when to like go to their room and you know let the team have fun at dinner as opposed to going with the team and having dinner and enjoying a uh, nice tequila or something like that. So where do you go to find a to say this not, not where to find it see but but how do you choose the right facilitator right i gotta imagine facilitators are differentiated each has a different skill set different background different capability set how do you choose the right facilitator what do you what do you consider in making that choice so many of our clients actually haven't chosen facilitators yet but i i think it's because we haven't put in or we haven't placed options in front of them yep uh part of this software that we're building is a vetted marketplace of facilitators. And so mm. I think simply having uh, a, a vetted group of facilitators and speakers versus the wild west 
of the National Speakers Association or Google uh, to go find anyone that says professional speaker or facilitator will be uh, helpful, you know, right then and there. Uh, additionally, companies have different operating systems for how they run their business. So there's uh, you know, a book called Traction, and they have an EOS system that a lot of companies follow. And there are facilitators specifically trained in that modality, you know, you could say. And then there's other facilitators that are, are trained in the way that YPO runs their you know, meetings or EO runs their meetings. So uh, that's one way of looking at facilitation is how do you run your company and, and who has experience in that? Um, two is, you know, a, a relationship oriented approach. And so, you know, I've, I've definitely heard of facilitators sticking with startups over the life cycle because especially with an executive team um, where it's, it's more intimate because there's already trust that's there. Um, right. And they're going to build know, third, institutional knowledge too. Correct. Right. Um, you know, third could be to look at the specific objectives you have for your offsite and what facilitators match that. So if you are uh, doing something related to like a, if you're running a board meeting uh, for a nonprofit or like a fortune 1000, um, are you bringing in someone with experience there? Uh, for example, I, I used to work with Keith Ferrazzi back in my teens. And before I, I worked with him, I got to shadow him for a few days in Los Angeles. And I, I got to sit in on a state board meeting for the March of Dimes, which is a nonprofit. And Keith was brought in as an outside facilitator. Um, they brought him in because he had been an outside facilitator um, for a lot of Fortune 500 companies and, and was a C-suite executive himself previously. So he had a lot of social proof and a lot of previous experience with similar stage and, and size organizations. Um, so it all comes down to relationship and social proof uh, you know, to the extent offsite can uh, shorten that cycle of, of vetting someone. Uh, I think we'll be able to help our clients. So, when when you plan a retreat, in your mind, is there an optical? I'm sorry, optical optimal length of a retreat. Is there a minimum size or a, or a sort of a sweet spot of of duration for a retreat to be effective? It, it can be effective with two days, one night, if you're mindful of your agenda. Uh, I would say the average that we're working with is a a three day, two night, and then. The longest I would recommend is is a one week offsite. I, I've heard horror stories of companies bringing like an entire engineering team together for two weeks and like keeping them away from family. Wow. Uh, but that's uh, that's only doable if you have a really young team. Uh, that's bizarre. More college kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, once once you get to like seven or you know, there there are some companies that have international teams and are only doing one all hands a year, and they might stretch it to five, six days, and then have optional weekend stays that they're willing to pay for. So that is one strategy to have maybe five days of work time as your max, and then have optional hangouts before or after, which would typically fall on a weekend. Um, so that would probably be the max I would recommend. Um, what are the most common goals that retreats are trying to accomplish or if you want, you could reframe this as what are the most realistic goals that a retreat can, can accomplish? 
take your pick on how you want to answer that. Yeah, at least right now, I mean, we're, we're recording this in late 2021. Uh, I imagine this will be true uh, for early 2022 as well, is that uh, for a lot of the companies that we're working with, they are newly remote and or they are fast growing and they've doubled, tripled their headcount over the last two years during the pandemic. And so their biggest need, they keep saying, is team building. Um when, when they say team building, uh, it could be as simple as like making friends at work. And that will lead to actually retaining your top talent longer uh, because on the days that they feel lonely or isolated, they'll be able to like reach out to a friend, uh, maybe in, a, in another department, or uh, they'll be able to make, make jokes in Slack. And then that makes for a, mon- a more fun organization. Um, sometimes you have uh, issues between departments because uh, one group is getting more budget or is hiring more people or like the sales team is giving uh, is promising too much and then customer success gets mad at them or engineering gets mad at them. Um, but like sales has a quota, you know, so that they need the other teams to understand what they're doing. Um, so cross department collaboration is a, a big hot button issue or, or a big place companies want to invest. Um, it could be that you know, we're just all on these Zoom screens and uh, even having two or three days in person with someone uh, gives you enough of a relationship, if properly facilitated, where you can really trust the the team leader, the CEO with your career uh, for the next six months to a year or, or possibly longer. Uh, and so I would say team building is, is, the word, is the word or phrase, but it really goes down to employee engagement, retention. Um, also innovation, you know, if you're considering uh, some of the benefits potentially of an office environment, it's the water cooler talk, it's people bumping into each other, having side conversations, going to lunch, and we lose a lot of that in Zoom. And, you know, you could try and recreate it in Slack or in all the other myriads of virtual spaces that have been created. Uh, but now offsites are your chance to really uh, facilitate those environments and those conversations and possibly get some of those idea, you know, generating sessions or um, planning sessions where you can then go back home and, and get to work on the things that you came up with. What about for post MA integration? You know, one of the, one of the most important reasons that I think mergers fail is because of the integration phase. Are, are retreats ever used to try to help mesh new teams from two different companies that suddenly need to work together? And if so, is that an effective way to address it? Uh, it sounds like a great you know, reason to use an offsite. And that's why I'm excited about this company is because there are so many use cases for offsites and many that haven't even been introduced to the market um, or haven't been created like a metaverse offsite. Or yep. um, you know, if you have a thousand person company and 20 people want to go um, work remotely because you can work from anywhere and why not go work in Tulum on the beach? You know, we can help you maybe facilitate that. Um, anecdotally, uh, my, my former employer, 155, uh, did acquire a business during the pandemic and had to integrate uh, about 50 employees from my understanding. And almost all those people stayed at the company after the acquisition. Uh, and many have been slotted into leadership roles. And so I know that they've been, uh, desperately waiting to have an all hands meeting uh, to better integrate the team 
Uh, and then I believe they've had executive offsites uh, to address sort of the highest level integrations. But yeah, I mean, that that is a, a great use case for an offsite. Uh, so has, in your mind, has the pandemic changed or maybe even sharpened the use case for retreats? Are they more important now than maybe they had been previously? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have started this company or, or maybe not, not this soon had it not been for the pandemic. I mean, who knows? Maybe like all the pieces were there with my 15.5 experience, my meeting of the minds experience, you know, being a, a facilitator occasionally for executive offsites. Um, already had the relationship with my co-founder, but I definitely, you know, as, as the pandemic went on, I realized this would become more and more of an issue in that it, our way of working would never really be the same. Uh, I was actually looking back to when our last recording was, and it was, uh, it looks like July, 2020. And so we were really only a few months into the pandemic and, you know, who knows in an alternate universe, if, if we really did like contain the pandemic in three to six months, maybe I wouldn't have started offsite. Maybe uh, I would have started in 2022. Uh, But because the whole playbook on work has been thrown out the window and by force we've all gone remote now tools like uh notion to run your sort of internal documents uh tools like asana for project management uh slack for asynchronous communication these have all become necessities uh just like office space would be your in-person team necessity uh and so my hope is that offsite becomes part of that tech stack for running a remote first company. Uh, and you know, there's a couple, couple competitors that have the same <laughs> thesis and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, sure. We'll see how we stack up. Why do retreats go bad? Right. You know, I don't know if you've been on bad retreats, but I have, I'm sure you've heard horror stories of, of retreats with the best of intentions that wind up being disasters. Why, why do bad things happen to good people trying to do retreats? Yeah, I, I think there's only a few things you can truly control. Um, the first is who you bring to the offsite. Uh, so in meeting in the minds, you know, it would be curating a diverse group of you know high integrity entrepreneurs and individuals. If it's a team retreat, uh, then let's assume you've already you know gotten high integrity individuals to work at your company. Um, now it's about, you know, making sure that they have advanced notice to come to an offsite that you're thinking about all their travel needs. Some people might be anxious to be around others after the pandemic. Uh, some people may have, uh, more travel sensitivities than others or, or dietary preferences. I mean, I show up to the Atlanta airport an hour before my flight and it's like part of my personality to show up with as little extra time as possible. Um, okay. You know, and I'm you like uh, to live six, dangerously, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm six foot two and white, and you know, like I, I don't have a lot of uh, I don't feel a sense of danger when I travel yeah. typically, like I, I travel pretty easily, but that's not true of everyone. Yeah. Um, and For so we sure. have to be mindful of that, we have to plan accordingly. Uh, and so if you carry the right people, um, give them advance notice, and then you set up an agenda that's intentional, um, that's really all you can control. Um, and so high level agenda planning, always start by um, building trust and intimacy up front. So you have your, your t- travel in day typically, um, leave some flex time for if uh, flights are delayed or there's border issues right now. Um, 
have your first night be something that is is welcoming, inviting. Um, people can make friends quickly, uh, get to know everyone. I would even continue building the trust and intimacy on the, the second day or your first full day um, with different icebreakers. Um, there's different activities. Some could be done with an outside facilitator. Some could be self-facilitated. Um, then get into the business stuff, you know, uh, day two, afternoon, uh, first full day. Uh, and that's where you start doing your high-level decision-making, strategic planning, training. Uh, and so the, the way you structure your agenda is something you can control. Um, and then getting the basics, right? Like having enough breaks. Uh, if you need to do AV stuff, like make sure ahead of time that your meeting space can accommodate that, um, you know, get your catering right. But there is a chance that uh, the hotel can screw that up. There's a chance caterers can screw that up. Um, you know, airlines can screw up, <laughs> you know, COVID can uh, make for all these wonky policies that are ever changing. Uh, so really you just got to get the people right and you got to get the agenda and facilitation right. Um, in my personal opinion, and that's all you can control. Uh, and we, we've had clients that have had, you know, had like ca- Canadians coming into the U S and have had border issues. And so they showed up six hours late. Uh, and then they went to the, this beautiful, you know, massive Airbnb and then the power went out and it took two, three hours to get on, but they still, you know, had an incredible time and like, you know, post on social media that it was the highlight of their year because they had the right people there and they uh, were able to do the right things with their time together. When you started to answer that question, you, you started down a path, which I thought was really interesting. So I want to push down that path a little, a little bit, which was you thought it was important that the participants have integrity. And, and I suspect that, I mean, I, I can see where that, has a lot of meaning. There's, there's integrity in terms of how you interact with people. There's integrity in terms of the seriousness with which you just take the exercise, right? And you're not, you're not getting drunk and you're in your, your, your mini bar and whatnot, and you're, you know, you're ready to sort of do your thing. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that's really important that, that, it, you know, and, and to that, to that point, and correct me if I'm wrong, if that's the case, then a lot of the ingredients that are are required for a successful retreat are actually in place or not in place long before you ever even think of having one, right? Matter of culture, matter of even how you hire. Correct. Yeah. And, and you know, maybe we're choosing clients that have great cultures already and then we're just elevating those and that I'm sure there's a case to be made for that. But you're absolutely right. You know, when if you're building an amazing remote first company, you should start with how you hire, um, the diversity of your hiring pools, your ability to compensate those people, and uh, your onboarding practices. And then you know, maybe part of onboarding is having an offsite, and that could be another use case. Um, or learning and development or training could also be you know added to offsites. Um, but yes, yeah, so that a lot of ingredients could or should be there already. Um, but then if you're planning an offsite, you don't want to take any, any of these things, um, you know, at, at service level, you set the intention that we are here to work or we're here to have fun. Um, if you're setting the intention to have fun, like set some ground rules, like, you know, no sleeping with colleagues or, um, don't get crazy drunk, like have some drinks, have a good time, but 
don't do anything stupid. We'd um, rather not have to bail you out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe get some event insurance. Uh, and that's something that we're looking to help broker, uh, in the future through our marketplace, uh, just for the what ifs. Uh, yeah. and then, you know, at the beginning of each day, like remind people why you're here and, and thank them for being here. You know, just have an intention of gratitude. Um, end each day on a high note so that if things got testy during any uh, given session that you remind them that we're here for a positive reason and that you know, we want to end on a high note and, you know, sort of engineer ending on a high note by having awards or by having your, your sort of most spectacular, unique shared experience, you know, on like the last night and then everyone flies out the final day. Um, so you are, you're right that hopefully you have a company already where you've hired great people and you just, let the great people be great, <laughs> but uh, you can also go above and beyond for the specific purpose of an offsite and, you know, remind people to represent the company in the best way. If you're going to a major city, you know, you could set the ground rules of, Hey, you know, go see your friends, go see your family if they happen to be here, or we're here on company dollars for a specific purpose. So like hang out with your colleagues, not with your friends. Um, I, I wouldn't, I would set the, set the rules. So that actually segues nicely into my next question, which is um, my experience is that most successful retreats have some mix of work and play, right? And the, the mixtures, the mixtures and formulas may be different, but it's not a hundred percent one or the other. And so my, my question is this, is that, are you aware of any best practices that have evolved or are evolving around ensuring that, that, the retreat doesn't just become basically a boondoggle, right? And a boondoggle can be immensely damaging, not least of which in that it may be very hard to get budgeting for retreat number two if number one sort of declines into having to bail people out in a wet t-shirt contest and all that stuff, right? So um, you know, how, how do you, what are best practices to, to ensure that the retreat stays on mission? So at least for us, we're we're just not interested in serving any boondoggles uh, as clients, and so that that's like clearly, you know, outlined on our website and like our marketing materials. Um, as we build software, uh, essentially, you will have this onboarding. You know, click a few buttons to tell us team size, budget, um, objectives of your offsite, and then based on your answers, uh, you'll be able to launch into. Uh, a venue selection experience similar to Airbnb, but you know, a vetted marketplace of hotels, meeting spaces, um, places like convene where you that are equipped for your meetings uh, and, and hybrid needs and, and AV needs, et cetera. Um, then we have an agenda builder we're building. So you can start with uh, one of our agenda templates uh, and, at the beginning, we're not going to even give you the opportunity to build your own agenda. Like you have to choose one of our mm-hmm. templates to start with um, because we've done the hard work of thinking what is the best and optimal way to have different types of offsites. And so based on how long your offsite is, based on your you know meeting type, uh, maybe based on your facilitation type, if it's you know EOS system versus YPO versus like the Keith Ferrazzi system, kind of just making this up, but... Um, you pick an, a template and then you start from there and you can customize like Squarespace or, you know, something else. But um, we're, we're trying to do the hard work for clients that they never have a boondoggle. Um, yeah. You know, in the future, maybe uh, some large 
company decides to have a boondoggle through offsite, but then hopefully at least we're giving them uh, quality vendors. Uh, we're like making it clear that, you know, here are the, the rules that your sort of team leader set for this offsite. You know, they've also gotten insurance so that it doesn't fall into the company if anyone does something stupid. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm sure if we run this company large enough or long enough and we become large enough that bad things will happen, uh, just like Airbnb. You know, there there are horror stories of people staying in Airbnbs and yep. that that's probably going to happen if we are successful enough. Um, but it's definitely our goal to uh, create the best offsites possible uh, and that will happen through how we create agendas, how we pre-vet and pre-negotiate with vendors through even having diverse uh, vendors on our platform, like diverse speakers and facilitators and photographers, videographers, um, by educating team leaders on how to facilitate if they want to do it themselves. Uh, these are all the things that we're going to be thinking about over the next you know decade plus uh, so that hopefully the average offsite is just better. We are talking with Jared Kleinert, and the topic is, should I host a company retreat? Um, is there an ideal time of year to have a retreat? I would argue once a quarter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of companies uh, planning, you know, like January offsites to kick kick the year off. Um, certainly a few December to, to celebrate the year. Um, so I, I would encourage companies to think about the life cycle of their business and how they operate. And if you have uh, a quarterly system of planning, then maybe you want to have your offsites mirror that at least for your executive team or for department leaders. If you're doing an all hands, you may want to consider when you can have the most attendance. And so that might be, um, I guess I don't have a clear answer and like over time our AI and our analytics will best determine that. But um, I mean, we're, we're looking at, a lot of all hands meetings in Q2 2022. Um, I, I guess probably avoiding summer if kids are out of school is going to make some sense and then avoiding major holidays for an all hands meeting. Uh, but it's also going to come down to like where your team lives. And, um, you know, if we're dealing with truly international teams, different places have different seasons. So if you say you want to go somewhere warm, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, uh, it, we're going to come into all these uh, geographical challenges as well, uh, which I'm, I'm excited about. Uh, but yeah, it, it's really based on how you run your company and what you want to celebrate, what you want to plan for. Um, if you're doing a, a, an offsite around integrating a new team from an M&A, then you probably want to do it right after the M&A is done. Um, and that may happen in January or June. We, you know, we don't know. Should, should employees, should people are gonna, who are going to participate in the retreat be involved in planning the retreat itself? Yes, with a caveat. Uh, I, I think one route our, our clients are taking uh, that we encourage is the top-down approach. You know, the team leader is, you know, knows the dates, knows where they want to have the offsite because they have a certain vision for it. Uh, they know that everyone's going to get a private room versus maybe shared accommodations. Uh, to save on costs. Uh, and then they are integrating their team in the planning process by asking, uh, certainly for their dietary preferences, um, 
sensitivities, uh, and then maybe select questions like what would make this a great offsite for you, or what's an idea you have to improve company, uh, or, you know, can you give us a, an employer net promoter score rating now? And then after the offsite, we'll, we'll do that again. Um, if team leaders don't have strong opinions about where, when, uh, and, and even some of details, like should it just be team members or should it also be significant others and, and kids that are invited, then some of those questions we would roll into an intake form and, and invite the team to sort of vote on that or, or have a say in it. And so, yes, you should include your team uh, with at least one pre-offsite feedback form. Uh, the specific questions you ask can lead to how much say they have, uh, which could, inf- you know, it could potentially influence where, when, um, and, and sort of how the offsite will happen. Or it could just simply be, um, we're going to get your travel needs right. We're going to get your diet right. Um, and then maybe be inspired by something that someone says. Uh, Jared, I, I know we've got a little bit of a hard stop with you, so I want to be respectful of your time. Um, we probably, I, I know we didn't get all, the, get to all the questions I'd prepared. There are probably ones that our, our audience would have wished we would have um, covered or maybe ones that we, we might have covered in more depth. Um, if somebody wants to contact you to ask for advice or more information on on whether or not to host a retreat, can they do so? And if so, what's the best way to, to contact you? Uh, you can go to joinoffsite.com uh, and then jared at joinoffsite.com. It's my email related to this business. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Jared Kleinert so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also check out my new, my new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. <laughs>